this morning's reading um, is uh, taken from the book of Acts. Um, it's Acts chapter 15, verse 36 through to chapter 16, verse 5. And that's found on page 1111 of the Pew Bibles. So that's Acts chapter 15, verse 36 through to 16, verse 5. And that's going to be read for us this morning by Pete Morrow. Disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. He came to Derb and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jew, Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he, was circ so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they travelled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Good morning, everybody. I hope you're well. I hope uh, Easter was good for you. It was good for us. Uh, I'm going to ease us back into this series on Acts this morning. I've only got two major points in a series of little ones along the way, but two. The first one is pray for your leaders in the church, I should say. They have a hard job. It's a good job, but God holds them to a higher standard. So pray for them. And two, second point, your leaders might ask you to do some crazy stuff for God's kingdom, and that's okay. So pray for your leaders, and they might ask you to do some crazy things. So, Let's, let's start with a brief review of where we've been. It's been a few weeks since we looked at this. Uh, and mostly for the last few sermons, we've been following the, uh, what I want to call the early preaching career of Paul. Paul becomes a follower of Jesus in Acts chapter 9. And a few years later, in chapter 13, he sets out on his first missionary endeavor. And the subsequent chapters deal with events surrounding and arising out of that time of ministry. And during all of this, Paul and his companions are very successful, They're seeing converts everywhere they go, but also they see a lot of opposition to their preaching. Uh, some of this opposition is just jealousy, 
um, of the attention that they're getting and the influence that they have. And some, we're not told what motivates it. But one thing that Luke, uh, who writes Acts, does focus on a lot is the opposition that they get that is motivated by a difference of opinion in theology. Right? Uh, some people don't like what Paul preaches because they think he's wrong. Paul's been preaching that Jesus is the Messiah. And through faith in him, the old ways of following God have ended. And his opponents don't like that at all. They think this is very wrong. And he, in turn, thinks that they are not just wrong, but actually they are completely undermining the whole thrust of the Bible. And this results uh, then in a big conference being held in Jerusalem, the very first general assembly, where leaders and representatives of the churches come together and they make a ruling that vindicates Paul's teaching. Right? And that takes us to today's passage. Paul is with Barnabas, his longtime companion, and they decide that they're going to kill two birds with one stone by travelling back to all the churches that they've started to see how they're doing, whilst at the same time bringing the news of the decision of the council in Jerusalem to all these people, right? You with me so far? So, <clears throat> that's where we've been. Now, as I said a minute ago, the first point that I want to talk to you about is to pray for your leaders, right? And where I get this from is from the demonstration of the high standards that God has set for his leaders in the church that we see in this leader, in this, sorry, in this letter. And this demonstration of God's standards is not, it's not actually found here in the story of someone displaying those standards in their life, but rather we see them in the failure of this guy, John Mark. So we see it in, uh, what's, the, what's the way to say it, in reverse, in the mirror image or something like that? This guy, John Mark, anyway, he's the guy. And all we know about him, from this passage at least, is that Paul and Barnabas have a falling out over whether or not they should bring him with them. And the story is, it just very briefly mentioned a few chapter, chapters ago, when Paul was on his first trip, this guy, John Mark, had been one of their group, but he had left them and turned back about halfway through, right? So, Paul says, no, he's not coming with us this time. He left us earlier. And Barnabas throws the head up and says, yes, we should bring him. And they fall out over it to the extent that they actually part ways, right? No, I don't know how you felt when you read that. Uh, and certainly when I read it the first time, and in fact when I read it again, looking at this, I had the same feeling. I thought it was a bit harsh. I thought it was a bit foolish to fall out over. And I thought that the two of them were being pig-headed, yeah? But actually... As I looked at it, Barnabas is at fault here. Now, how do I get that? Well, firstly, the whole subsequent career of Paul must surely vindicate him in some way, right? We don't hear anything else about Barnabas or John Mark thereafter. And then the same can't be said of Paul. You could say, well, that's circumstantial. We don't know what actually happened to Barnabas and John Mark. They might have done great things. True. But note that it appears that Paul had the backing of the church on his decision. For they gave him their blessing in verse 40. So they seem quite happy with what he did. The clincher though is that if you take the vast overall teaching of the New Testament, and this is what all the commentaries that I was reading were saying, 
and I'll explain it a bit more in a second, but if you look at what the New Testament teaches, there is clear teaching from God that God, if God calls you to be a leader, the standards are different for you. And John Mark, he didn't turn away from the faith. Yes, that's true. But he did turn away from his calling. And Paul couldn't let that go. For him, that was a sign that this guy was unfit to do the job. And look, you know, we, we all have callings in life. It's just that in this case, John Marx wasn't to be a missionary. Anyway, as I've been saying, my point is to pray for leaders. Why have I landed on that? Well, because it's harder to be a leader. Listen to this, this story for a minute and I'll show you what I mean. I was talking to um, a, a few people during the week about becoming a communicant member here. I, I'm, I'm taking the class. And when you become a communicant, there's a couple of things happening. But one of the things that is happening is that you identify yourself with a particular local congregation and you say that the elders in that particular church are my elders. Uh, by doing that, you give them a degree of authority in and within your life. And this rankled some of the people that I was talking to. And we talked about it back and forth. I mean, rankled. It's not like they were tearing the head off me. We just, they just reacted to it. And one of my points back to them was that someone who is an elder does get these rights in our lives, but they do have a harder job. They're going to be called to account specifically for this job that they do within the church. Hebrews 13:17 says just that. They're going to be judged according to a higher standard. James 3.1 says that teachers will be judged more strictly. In other parts of God's word, he teaches us about how to approach a brother or sister who continues to sin, right? You know, how do you talk to them and try and change their mind about their actions? Well, for an elder who continues to sin and is found out, the process of talking to them is a bit more public and a bit more intense. You look at 1 Timothy chapter 5 if you're interested in that. And all these points are coherent to what we see in Paul doing here. Those who are called to lead are called to higher standards. And like, I'm going to talk about this again in a while from a different angle, but I mean, look at what Paul expects of Timothy. He asks him to circumcise himself. He literally has to give up a piece of himself to do what he's called to do. Now you can be sure that Paul is not asking everyone to do that. But it's by virtue of him being a leader, and one or two other things that I'll talk about in a second, that Paul asks, this for the reason why Paul asks him to get circumcised. So yeah, it's harder to be a leader. The standards are higher. And they are standards that are put in there by God, not by man. So pray for your leaders. Pray for your elder. <clears throat> and I, excuse me, I mentioned this a few weeks ago. That same verse in Hebrews that says that they will be judged for how they do their job as a leader also says that we should make their job a joy. Do you do that? Do you know who your, your, your elder is here? Mine is Dave Reaney. Is he here? No? He's gone out? I hope, I'd like to look at him when I was saying it, but anyway, I hope my presence brings some joy. Um, find out who your elder is pray for them love them 
The second thing I want to talk about here today surrounds this whole business of Timothy's circumcision. And the more I, you know, the more I think about this, the crazier it seems to me. I mean, the guy was at least a very uh, young, fully grown man. And yet he underwent this procedure. I mean, I don't know what kind of anesthetics or painkillers they could have had. So at the very least, it would have been a, a painful, but at least dangerous operation, right? If there was one, ever, one conversation from church history that you'd like to be a fly on the wall for, you know, it's the one where Paul calls Timothy over and says, come here to me for a minute, uh, I got this idea I need to talk to you about. Now before um, I go on, some of you might be wondering, how is it <clears throat> that he can ask someone to get circumcised at all, given that this was one of the very few things that started off the big debate they just had in Jerusalem a few weeks ago. In fact, news of that very decision is one of the things they're going to be bringing on this trip. And here's Paul asking Timothy to get circumcised before they go. What's, what's going on there? Well, remember what the debate was about. Some Jewish people were saying that non-Jews who wanted to be saved had to follow the laws of Mo Moses. In fact, they specifically said one had to be circumcised. And of course, this went against the gospel message. That's why Paul and his friends fought so hard to get this cleared up. That's why they went to Jerusalem. They wanted a church-wide conference to make sure that this absolutely essential idea was made clear to everybody. You're saved by faith in Christ. You have forgiveness of sins by faith in Christ. The Messiah had arrived, and so the old covenant which promised blessings for obedience and a sacrificial system for sin, was gone. The new covenant was here. The promises made to King David that someone from his line would rule the world had come. The promise that the Spirit would live within them and move them to follow the law had come. The old covenant had served its time and its time was gone. And so Paul and the apostles were desperate to make this clear to people. And yet here is Paul getting this guy to undergo a circumcision. Is that not part of the old covenant? Well, no. Because Paul's not asking him to do this so that he would be saved. Salvation was the issue before. Here the issue is spreading the message. And Paul asked Timothy to do this simply because it will gain Timothy a hearing with some of the Jews that they are bound to meet along the way. This is an act of total commitment to the cause of spreading the gospel. Now, <clears throat> you know, I don't know how it worked, right? How, how would they have known he was circumcised? What actual difference would it make to him that he was? But whatever the mechanics of it, the fact remains that by undergoing this procedure, Timothy was in some way making himself more favorable to Jews in general and thus removing a barrier from his efforts at evangelizing and teaching these Jews. Now I could be very specific here and say that this is primarily a teaching, uh, or primarily teaching us that when it comes to evangelism and doing mission, we should be willing to give up a lot to do the job. But I, I, I think that misses the point here a little bit. I would say that we are willing to do anything. Or the point I should say, sorry, is that we should be willing to do anything, but only on the advice of a trusted leader. 
you could be sure that if I was asked to do what Timothy was asked to do, I'd be looking around for wise counsel. Not just a second opinion, but maybe a third, fourth, and fifth. But nonetheless, the Spirit speaks to us through this text and says that we too should be willing, if asked by our leaders, to put anything on the line. Specifically, they might ask us to give up something that is dear or precious to us, or to do something very hard. Or to put it another way, <clears throat> what Timothy did was he wore a marker of the culture that was not his so as to reach that culture. Paul asked him to do this, and he did it. One way that we've seen this happen here in Kirkpatrick and in many other churches is with music, right? The music that is used in churches to worship God has changed over the years. I'm sure you're all very familiar with this conversation. And many leaders, not wanting to have something that is a barrier to people coming in and hearing God's word, have asked their congregation to let go of their cultural preferences and and to do something that feels foreign to them. And by the way, me saying that, you know, don't think that I'm just talking about older people letting go of their preferences. It works across all ages. It's been uh, heartening for me to hear some younger people say, well, you know, that wouldn't be my style, but I know it's for others. And the truth is, you know, music will change again. I think I've mentioned this before. I know some of you into history will know that 100 years ago, the big fight in the PCI was the introduction of organs. Uh, Some people thought it wasn't good. It wasn't from God. But ministers and elders across the denomination kept plugging away at introducing them. And today we're on the complete other side of that debate. Every church has one. Um, Now, of course, would they build one today if they were building a new church? I wouldn't be bothered, I'll tell you now, but the point is, think of all the trouble there was just to get that change in. Now, you might say, well, Richie, are you saying I should just trust them blindly? No, I don't think so. But if they've proven themselves as good leaders if they've proven themselves as the man or woman chosen by God to lead you, then are you willing to follow them? Now it's hard to do that. We all know too well about folk valuing their traditions over their faith in Northern Ireland. But the truth is, it always looks hard to do hard things for God. But it's not like you're alone in that. Jesus asked the night before he died if there was another way. It looks hard to do hard things for God because it's hard to give up something that you would legitimately call a part of yourself for the spreading of the gospel. But that's what Jesus did for us. He didn't just have his skin cut. His flesh was decimated for us. He didn't just give up his culture. He came down from the riches of heaven and was born into an animal's feeding trough. And he did that for you and he did that for me. It looks hard to do hard things for God, but we've been given good leaders. We should trust them. They don't always get it right. And that unfortunately is going to be a part of the way until Jesus comes back again. But we still have to trust them. 
Trust is an act of love. And you know what Jesus says about love? Do it. It looks hard to do hard things for God, but you have the Holy Spirit who will surely give you the power to do what needs doing. And when you trust God, amazing things can happen. Paul, I think, was surely vindicated in choosing Timothy. He turned out to be a very good man. He did great things for and with God. Can you imagine if in Ireland Christians took seriously the leadership of the churches they were in and lived lives that they were willing to identify in such a way that they were willing to identify with the people around them so that they could be reached them with the gospel? Paul has some pretty amazing verses that kind of in, in another book, First Corinthians chapter nine, it says all of this better than I would. He says this, Though I am free of obligation to anyone, I make myself a slave to everybody, to win as many as possible. To the Jews I become like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law I become like one under the law, to win those under the law. To those without the law I become like one without the law, to win those without the law. To the weak I become weak, to win the weak, I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some of them. I do this for the sake of the gospel so that I may share in its blessings. Now if I changed all those labels around today that Paul used and I inserted a loyalist, a republican, middle class, working class, college educated, left school at 18, etc., etc., would it work for you to say that? One of the promises of the gospel is that with the Holy Spirit of God, you can. We can. Now, I'm nearly finished. Since I come here, I've tried to embrace the whole British thing as much as I can. We have a Union Jack hanging in our house. Alongside a tricolour. <laughs> and uh, I left the boat up when my family came to visit. I took my kids and my wife to the field on the 12th. And I took pictures and I left them up on Facebook. And then, <clears throat> admittedly, it was during the, the flag protests and I wanted to get out to the shop and I needed camouflage. But I bought this. <laughs> and I kept it. Uh, for those of you listening on the podcast, I'm wearing a Rangers jersey. Excuse me. They don't train you this in preaching school. Um, I, I wore it into school one day. <clears throat> It was hard enough to do. But the only way I could do any of that is if the gospel was more important to me than keeping all the symbols of my Irishness. No. Look, I want to reach Irish people. 
with the gospel as long as I'm but as long as I'm here then these kind of things are is what's asked of me that's why I do these things and it hasn't always been easy there are certain things that I still haven't I haven't been able to do and I, I was kind of tying with the idea of whether I'd share those with you or not but I think actually to be honest I think some of you will be upset so I'll not but if you want to ask me you're, you're very free to I will tell you but not here and either way you know the work continues the, the spirit continues to cut pieces off me I was in the city centre about two weeks ago and I was doing some shopping with my uh, uh, my my in-laws and my my kids, and I was just walking around. <clears throat> and as it happens, when I'm outside, I very often start humming a tune or whistling, right? And uh, the majority of them, I have to say, are usually the pub songs that I grew up with, you know. So I have to watch myself. But this time, I was sing- humming and whistling for about a minute before I realised what I was humming. And uh, <clears throat> it was this one, right? Do 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 So you know that was a very strange moment for me. Yeah. But here's the thing, folks. It's all about me. I've been very indulgent there. What is the Spirit asking you to cut off to enable you to reach your neighbours? What symbols does he want you to wear to open doors to people who are not like you? The King has done it all for you already in many ways. And listen, it's not just the British-Irish thing. It could be, I, I don't know what your, issue, your, your issues are. That one's always in my face. That's my background. I, this isn't just a party political broadcast for the Alliance. Like, You know? You can vote for him and still have your issues with your neighbour. But the king did all of that for us. What do we want to do in return? That's it.